KZSU, Stanford, 90.1 FM. I'm Mark Molino. This is the Henry George Program, show all about city government, land speculation, and big business. In the program, we have back on Alan Joyce. He has been on the show before to talk about McDonald's and real estate, talking about Disneyland and real estate, talking about video games and real estate. Today, he's on to talk about Major League Baseball and real estate. He knows his Padres. We're talking about the history of Petco in San Diego and the way that cities and teams interact in the great land hustle, and then into larger questions about public ownership and much, much, much more. Without further ado, well, let's get into it. So welcome back, Alan. Thank you. It's good to be here. It's great to be here. We're back in the studio for the first time. Uh, it's it's incredible stuff. No false starts. Absolutely. Everything going smoothly. This is smooth sailing. Uh, so you were on before last time uh, to talk about McDonald's. We did. We talked about McDonald's. We talked about McDonald's real estate. We talked about the movie The Founder. Um, I don't remember what else we might have talked about. So let's p- uh, pick up where we left off in the, f- the final scene of The Founder. Sure. Uh, Ray Kroc, Joan Kroc, in their yeah. beautiful estate. Yes, I be- in, in, in San, Diego. San Diego, California. Yeah. So what what happens next? What's going to be in the sequel? Presumably, when he bought the Padres. Uh, sure. Okay. That yeah. would be that would yeah the, that would be the entirety of the sequel to the founder. Yeah, absolutely. The founder two, Padres time. <laughs> so <laughs> so the, the Padres were threatening in 1974 to move to DC. Because the oh, second yeah. senators moved out, yeah. and it's like, hey, like now move the Padres in. Sure. And Ray Kroc saved the day yeah. uh, by buying up the team. Buying his hometown team. Yeah, he, he later died, and Joan Kroc became the owner of the yes, Padres. that's right. In 1984, she tried to donate the Padres to the city of San Diego. Yes. And this, uh, this was blocked by- By MLB. By MLB. Yeah. Uh, they did not allow it, uh, and I, we can get more into. We're going to get more into like kind of the idea of municipal public ownership and stuff. But just in general, what is you know what the reason is why they blocked it, or what they you imagine it would be? Uh, they would it, why MLB would block it. Yes. MLB would block it because they are nervous about. I guess they just don't want to nervous about losing control. That's part of it, but I think it's not really maybe so much of like the economic actors, but they have very specific reasons. I think this is interesting. Mm. Uh, if it is owned by a city, it would certainly be open to financial statements being released, whereas almost all sports teams are not even owned by corporations. A few are, uh-huh. but most sports teams- Are owned by like private, either private equity groups or private individuals, basically. Yeah. I mean, usually individuals or partnerships. Mm-hmm. There are a few exceptions. You can talk about like some teams are owned by corporations, but there's only a few. But there's, in general, there's a dearth of financial statements. And sports do not want the financial statements to get out there because that kind of mm. hurts their leverage to-, to So well, what's the- de- I mean, the Pack- do the Packers release financial statements? They do. They're they one do. of the oh. few teams you can look at for a, a nice continuity of financial statements. Wow. Uh, which I was like reading all these I books about the I bet the NFL the doesn't of- like that. Yeah. <laughs> I, if they could turn back clock, they would not allow that. Certainly. Mm-hmm. It's, it's this weird kind of uh, legacy. Uh, also- it would be especially bad because the city would own it. Now, anytime the city does business or the team does business, it would be the city doing business, which means it o- like open meeting laws oh, by wow. like government you know, oversight stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Would now become the purview. Okay, so it's I would say it's partly control, but more so it's about it's about overhead. And and um, really, that all I would qualify yeah. that all as overhead. But also, uh, you, you would lose bargaining power with the city if the team is the city. Mm-hmm. Like the the idea right now, it's like the city can bargain with the team can bargain with the city of San Diego. Sure. And as we go to Petco, 
they in fact they, did quite a bit. Sure, yeah, uh, yeah. So I mean, I, I think that that kind of you can say is that a good thing or bad thing, but certainly in the eyes of Major League Baseball, mm-hmm. they like that bargaining because it helps them, I guess, get yeah. more. So why though? I mean, okay, so 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 primary option donate to the city of San Diego was not going to work out for for Joan Crock. Why is why was the secondary option not? you know set up a non-profit or like donate to some you know some other entity that would be for the public good but might not actually be the the city itself that is interesting i don't know exactly what sort of non-profit would have the non-corporate status most non-profits i think have to give financial statements and so on but could you have something oh. which is private mm-hmm. but is not that what she did in 1990 is she instead found a lot of local business leaders mm-hmm. said you're rooted here now you own the like I'll sell to you for a fair price or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, it turns out they all like went bust after like four years. So like it worked out terribly. Uh, so a four teams years- are expensive to run. <laughs> yeah, it's tough. Yeah, so, so four especially years especially when they don't win. <laughs> yeah. So four years later, she, they sold off to John Morse. Uh, yeah, so he took over nineteen ninety four. The man, the myth, the legend. Yeah. So we talk about teams are financially hard to run, especially for the Padres. The Padres, for most of their history, were a financial disaster. Yep. Yep. Until Ron Fowler. <laughs> yeah, but uh, well, I mean, I think I mean, the, the Moore's era changed a lot. Uh, but so the reason, if you had to say, like, what do you believe the reasons are the Padres were unsuccessful? Because the, there's, there's a few specific ones that are interesting. The reasons they've been they've been historically unsuccessful. Yes. Um, I mean, smaller market. That's a big one. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, you know, makes it makes it hard to um, uh, you know, just uh, there's just less total revenue opportunity, right? Yeah. Um, bad ballpark. Um, for bad, many years, <laughs> bad ballpark to watch a game just yep. for attendance, but also very specifically the terms of the agreement were awful. Oh, so the Padres and this for context for anyone who doesn't follow the Padres closely, this is Qualcomm Stadium, uh, previously uh, Jack Murphy. Jack Murphy Stadium, now or now demolished, but but went from Jack Murphy Stadium to Qualcomm St- Jack Murphy Field at Qualcomm Stadium. Once <laughs> oh, I didn't hear that. Oh yeah, That's yeah, that, it, it was it was yeah it was just, yeah. And then I think, and then eventually they might have dropped the Jack Murphy Field once once they stopped playing, um, once both the Padres and the Chargers stopped playing there, and then um, and then what did it, it became something else for like a couple years before it got demolished. I forgot that part. I always call it Qualcomm. I, in my yeah. mind, you have one chance to rename yourself, yeah. and you can't rename yourself again. I will not give you mental real estate for it. And, and to set the stage for for Qualcomm Stadium. It's you know this massive structure in the middle of a gigantic parking lot, yeah. In the middle of a valley with I, basically I, nothing else in it. I visited while I was there. I went to the. <laughs> I, I had like one of the free transit passes, and it does have a trolley connection. It that's, does. That's cool, right? And it's, I exited and I walked around the parking lot, did a nice lap. Yep. Uh, so I, I did. I did experience the beast. It was wonderful. Yes. Uh, but okay, the very specific terms. The Padres came to San Diego, nineteen sixty nine. Yes. At that point, the Chargers already exist, and they had control of the stadium. Okay. So, so the, like a lot, of, like if you go up to the Reds and the Bengals sharing Riverfront or something, or mm-hmm. other teams that like have this nice cookie cutter. That usually they both were kind of like real partners. Yeah. The Padres were in a like they were the tenants of the the Chargers. Sure. The Chargers were the landlord, and it sucked for them. Like they <laughs> they were having like they couldn't get all their game day revenues. Uh-huh. They just like couldn't get the deals in their merch. They like like mm. just all consent. Like basically, the Chargers were like keeping them as like a bad position as possible. Mm. So they they were not happy about that, and this was making them. And uh, the, and and do you know it, it, has the Chargers ownership group stayed constant? 
I don't know yeah, about exactly. I mean, I didn't look into the Chargers ownership, but they're they're. I mean, the, the Chargers ownership now is like legendarily bad and hated in San Diego. The the, the Spanos family. Um, well, they've been hated for different reasons. I don't know if it's contu- uh, you know, co- you know, continuous or different. Alex history. Spanos purchased majority interest in 1984, so that would have been okay. after, the, or it sounds like after what you're talking about. Well, that was original years, but I yeah. think some of their greatest hits are coming up. But in 1997, uh, this. The mayor of San Diego, Susan Goldberg, officiated like the fact like the, the the Padres were losing money and were a disaster. So she set up the task force on Padres planning, <laughs> and which is to find out how can we make the Padres successful. Sure. And the big thing is they need a new stadium. Uh, that I mean that really I mean if you think about so I mean you got a small market already. Yeah. And then you're basically asking people, you're putting the stadium, you know, the ballpark, really a stadium. Uh, somewhere where it's very hard for most people to get to uh, easily and especially hard for the one big population center to get to because it, it's not in the it's not in downtown and you know the the trolley connected so that's good but still that's a it was a big parking lot what's the problem yeah that's right that's a that's a 30 minute trolley ride something like that it's not a, it's not a fast trolley it's, yeah, it's not yeah. it's not rapid transit but here's here's one of the big problems the chargers gave the idea of like financing anything in an incredibly bad name. Mm. Uh, in 1995, they refinanced, like basically had a new lease with the city that would mm. stretch on till 2020. So they, wait, this is so they, for Qualcomm Stadium. For Qualcomm. They, they leased the, the underlying ground under Qualcomm Stadium and they built Qualcomm Stadium with Chargers funds? I or don't they... actually know if the city, I, I imagine uh, the city is the is like has the, the, the base lease, but the Chargers had a continuous long-term lease. Okay. Which made them, I guess, when I said they're the landlord, they're really the master tenant. And, you know, okay. but, but they had very generous terms. But the terms 1995 were considered ext- like the city hated it. I guess <laughs> you're very young at the time. Well, this would have been Spanos, uh, so that yeah. makes sense. Not so, a, not a friend of the city of San Diego. Yeah, so they gave them really good terms. They said, okay, you need to fix up Qualcomm because mm-hmm. we want to bring the Super Bowl here in 2004. Sure. And this is like this is gonna you know this is gonna fix San Diego. To bring the Super Bowl here. <laughs> uh, the two terms everyone hated was they the the city guaranteed, uh, you know they're gonna sell sixty thousand tickets for every game. Yeah. No matter how bad they are, the city will buy up the rest. Yeah. Uh, so it doesn't matter if I do a bad job. But the, this, <laughs> you still have to pay me. Yeah. <laughs> so, and is is this not what led to it being rebranded as Qualcomm? I believe I'm not sure about that. It might have been because uh, Qualcomm. There, again, there was a year where there was a huge financial deficit because there were a bunch of unsold tickets, and that was the year where Qualcomm took over branding because Qualcomm essentially paid for the unbought tickets, which then got... What I, I thought it was the Chargers, but turns out it was the city. Got the city out of a financial hole, I guess. I can believe that. I didn't... I, I, I did a deep dive in the Padres part. I mm-hmm. kind of did a skim on the Chargers part. Okay. But I could believe that's the case. That's interesting. So, But the public hated the idea that the they could like sandbag and the city would have to buy the tickets anyway. Right. Even if that really isn't their main revenue thing, it, it had left a bad taste. The other thing was the trigger clause, which is that the team said, if we ever, our cost for players, if it reaches 75% of our revenue, if it goes up to that high, uh, we can renegotiate the lease. Uh, okay. Okay. So, like, and the thing is, they, in 2002, April 2002, 
they pulled the trigger and said, okay, it's bad. And they say, oh, can we, can we see your financial statements? Like, no, you can't look at our data. <laughs> they just, they just like unilaterally said, oh, it's been triggered. Trust us on it. <laughs> like, and people did not like that. Uh, but yeah, that was, that was, that was one other part. And, but, but this all, I mean, and not that this was their goal, but like, you know, this, this culminated over many years into a situation where when the time came to, you know, for the city to actually support, you know, something better for the Chargers, the city was, no one was interested in it. I mean, when the Chargers moved to LA, like everyone saw it as a bad deal, what they wanted the city to do to try and support them to stay in San Diego. And, um, you know, and, and so they moved to LA and, and I, I mean, but again, I don't know that their goal was to keep the city of San Diego, uh, on good terms with the team. I think their goal was, you know, (laughs) I, I think they're not, they're not even trying to play nice. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But at least for the, you know, over the years, the idea of municipal funding for stadium infrastructure and other stuff sure. has been com- increasingly common. It first started, you know, mid 20th century, but mm-hmm. by the 80s and 90s, it was, you know, the primary way that most stadium deals were paid for. And it can make sense, right? Because you're saying there is this valuable thing that we are going to support as best we can, and it's going to actually contribute a lot of value, you know, around it to the city itself or to stuff the city cares about like local businesses and um uh you know and and uh, i guess the the uh you know just generally the value of the city as a place to visit or spend time in or live in right yeah i mean you could say that it is i mean we can I th- this is a question i want to pose to you which is in general it, are the is a stadium and the teams that play in it is this a normal business or is this like a form of municipal infrastructure? Because it's it is in a weird gray area between these two things. No, I think the I think the well, a I think it's in a gray area, so I don't know. If there's a definitive answer here, but I do. I would agree that the stadium area feels like a piece of municipal infrastructure. Yeah. In part because it's multi-use, right? It doesn't it's I mean you sure you have baseball games on when they're scheduled, but then you know you've got concerts and in other days it you know it's generally a venue for whatever, you know, if if you own the venue, it's a venue for whatever you want to do with it. Yeah, some places historically have been really that in mind Cleveland Municipal Stadium, LA Coliseum have been places that the city has made for multi-use and like for the, you know, in both cases I believe it was for the Olympics. Cleveland yeah. was not successful. Uh, <laughs> but uh, they both, you know, and they used it for a lot of stuff and you know, it was kind of a, a, a big purpose but you know even but right now a lot of times these are owned by different entertainment industries and they use it for many purposes right but it is a private beneficiary right. of that which is a question okay if it's if well it, which which that could be okay if if either the city owns the underlying land or the or the you know like maybe doesn't own the structure but owns the land or if the city owns a lot of land around it um or somehow stands to benefit from you know basically is getting some portion of the benefit that that then helps offset the city's costs or potentially even be profitable that is that's the name of the game the name of the game is can you manage a form of value capture which will allow you to basically kind of make it up? You don't only siphon away uh, this value. People like it gives people a bad taste in their mouth because you know the word corporate welfare is thrown around. Mm. You know the idea is like this is a no, bi- but if it's producing more value than it than than you're contributing to it, then I mean that's just investment, right? I mean that's the city investing in we're going to do this project. It's going to contribute this amount of value to the city. 
which is greater than the cost of the project. Well, I guess you could say if you create a partnership and you benefit, I get a 2% return on investment. The other person gets a 50% return on investment. Sure, you came out ahead, <laughs> but like you obviously left some money on the table. Yeah, that's true. No, I mean, right. It's up to the city to try and get the best deal possible for sure. Yeah. Yeah, which I think, you know, so one one idea would be just to build a massive parking lot around it and then and then the city charges for all the parking. I mean that is that is a a big thing over the years. You know what mm. they call this effect of basically getting the capture of the zone. Mm. Uh, they have a name for it. Uh, uh, I'll it, just tell you. Okay, Disneyification. Hey, there you go. Uh, referring to the idea that Walt Disney saw all the crappy motels around Disneyland mm-hmm. and said, "If I have a place in Florida." I'm going to get this value. Yes. So yes. the idea, you can look at this from the city's perspective, you can look for the team's perspective. Yep. But the early days of stadiums, mm. they like, they. I mean, the early days of sports business, mm-hmm. these went out of business all the time. Sure. They were badly run. They were like, you know, and there, was, there wasn't there was huge margins. It was like, it was, you know, bad in a lot of ways. So they found crappy land everywhere. Like even the places that were classics, like Wrigleyville wasn't even that developed at mm-hmm. the time. But it turned the area into something greater as a result, right? You know, and a lot of people love these old parks, but the thing is they, like, tucked them in weird places. Sure. Like, I, they called uh, the, uh, the place where Ebbets Field was in Brooklyn Pigtown, because it was just, like, a bunch of, like, pig lots. But, like, sure. okay, we need to find Candlestick something. Park, San Francisco, put it out on the, you know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, the, out on the built land swamp area. Yeah. That's that's it's more of, like, the middle area. That was the area of, like, cities kind of doing the, the master plan stuff. Uh-huh. But, yeah, I mean, that's the, no matter what time, you need to find a place to plant it, which makes sense. Yeah. And usually kind of cheap marginal land makes sense. But as they went into larger areas, they try to put more into the ballpark, better mm-hmm. concessions. You can spend a whole day there. Yep. Uh, and then as it went on, what if you put more of the surrounding community into the ballpark? Yes. You see the parking lot. Petco Park does such a great job with this, but, but go on. Yeah. So this kind of happened from the beginning. So we're going back to, this is the late 90s. Here's a problem. The uh, city wants to get the Padres a new stadium. Yes. Uh, here is the the owner, John Morris, who says, okay, here is my my limitation. I am spending no more than $150 million. <laughs> That's, I mean, uh, what, what year was this? Uh, like, well, this is 1997 or so. Oh, I mean, yeah, that's that's a lot of money. Sure. I mean, the Petco uh, price tag was over $400 million. Okay. So he's saying, like, I'm going to pay less than half. Okay. So, and the city hates... The fact that all these, like, because the Chargers are especially in a bad taste, but they don't yeah. like corporate welfare. Yeah. So this, getting this campaign underway to get the city to approve of the funds mm-hmm. became a major thing. Because how do you sell the public on something if they don't want to see yeah. public money being poured into private sports teams? Okay. I mean, I, okay. I, I, but the, is this also within the framing of, like, this is... In the context of the plan being to bring the ballpark into downtown, into Gaslamp Quarter? Well, that's kind of the question. The main thing is, the first thing is, we just want to have a ballpark, period. Okay. And we need to pay for it. Yeah. How do we make it work? Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll, like To give you the final result, okay. it passed with 60%. Nice. It was a very successful campaign. Yeah. The campaign was called More Than a Ballpark. Yes, that it was, is. It's so much more than a ballpark. Yeah. Uh, in general, like people have complained over the years uh, that- 
San Diego pays less, like generates less revenue per capita through taxes than any other California city mm. of like any major size. Uh, one of the city managers of, of San Diego called America's cheapest city. Mm. Uh, so that, that's a problem, you know, because mm. like it usually skin flints all around. You know, it's it's hard to get to get, the, get this money. But here is the way they made made it happen. Okay, so John Moore's his goal originally says okay. If I just want to have my goals, 150 million, I'll pay. You pay more than half, I'll pay 150 million. I want to put it in Mission Valley, right where Qualcomm is. Oh no! This is the perfect place because all the highways go there. <laughs> it's the <laughs> ideal location. Uh, and he says, "Okay." And the city says, "No, <laughs> like yeah. we don't." Want, it's like this. And he says, "Okay, well, my second one is waterfront below the convention center." Yes, like because well, waterfront seems yes. nice. And the city said, "No." To make this work, they wanted to see land value uplift cool. in a place that was not yeah, good. Yeah, not currently. At, that's awesome. That's yeah. great. So the gas yeah. the gas lamp district has been around for a while, yeah. like yeah. you know, a while. But this, I, I always thought like the Petco was in the gas lamp district. Yeah, technically, it's the East Village. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it extended kind of the gas lamp district. Yeah, exactly. But, it kind of expanded the whole area. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, clearly, someone from the city of San Diego had had played Sim City. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's that's a, you want to put the park right in the middle of the of the low value land, and then it and then it all goes green. Yeah, and the idea is okay. If this works to plan, we will see property taxes increase, hotel taxes increase, yeah. and we'll come out ahead. Yeah, uh, and it, it and they did. And, and I assume uh, I, yeah. there's a ridiculous amount of new development, a huge new development around the park even now. Yeah, and and certainly since when was this? This was right? uh, well, I mean, this is uh, the actual. Was, was 1998. Yeah, but they didn't actually complete the park until 2002. Uh, two, two, four, two, yeah, two like sounds that. right. Yeah. yeah. Let me see. Uh, yeah, yeah, well. 2004. Okay, so yeah, that's what yeah, I thought. Yeah, 2004. Okay, yeah. So, yeah, the, the park, I mean, and in the end, yeah, they came out ahead. But the, okay, other places have done things like that. The Cleveland Indians, this was considered a revitalized the flats mm. of, of of downtown Cleveland, but this was, I think, maybe left up to chance in a way that the city of San Diego wanted to make sure that there was no chance, and also they could like really sell it as being a guarantee. Mm-hmm. So to produce this, they set up a memorandum of understanding with the Padres, and the memorandum of understanding had them guarantee you must build. Four hundred fifty million dollars of real estate wow. in the east in the East Village. So okay. it's not just like oh, put a park there and let's hope it happens. Yeah, they said okay, you actually need to build all this. Okay, within the first like phase, which I guess was like ten years or so. Yep. In the end, uh, they built more than one point four billion. I bet. I bet. Yeah, and yeah, and it's this, a really nice area now. I mean, and you know who built this all this stuff? John Moore's investment. Interesting. Yeah. So I don't know. He was he was a software guy. Yeah. And but I don't know if he got into real estate development, you know, as a backup thing or like he kind of came. But I think it, it, he didn't start with the whole Petco era. Sure. He, well, he, he I think he exited the software business. I don't think he was still in the software oh, business people, by the time he was. People leave as soon as they can. It sucks. Yeah. Uh, but no, it's uh, it, I mean, but I, I think he already had some investment, you mm-hmm. know, kind of stuff. But like the fact is he had some muscle as a real estate developer and he had some capital, not enough to pay $150 million for the ballpark, mm-hmm. but enough to drop, you know, or like, you know, get money for $1.5 billion for the area. Uh, well, that's a little bit of a different. I mean, you've got like, I think the. Um, 
building the, that those real estate investments were probably a lot lower risk and he was able to secure financing a lot easier than like the team itself or the ballpark itself which especially the Padres in that era you know were probably not um well actually what at 90 when was this 99 yeah, well, well, okay, that would have been the area to do it, I guess. Well, they lost money in the World Series year, you know. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, I guess from a financial perspective, they still would have been considered risky. Yeah, but it is an interesting kind of. I, I think it's it's funny that this was a successful campaign. Say this developer is going to go in and invest five hundred million dollars in this area, mm-hmm. whereas like a lot of times, like look at the greedy real estate investors making money by you know <laughs> sucking value out of the area. It's kind of weird because, like, it's not like they're running a charity. Yeah, they're running well, a business. So, they, they... so the the line which is burned into my brain, which they which they used at the time, and still, you know, I, I, people still refer back to this, is they talked about the fact that uh, we're going to build the park and the city will build up around it. Um, that was the that was the line that I that I remember, right? Yeah, uh, or sorry, that the city will fill in around it. Um, and and you look at especially, I'm looking right now at the photo from you know behind home plate. You look out at at the um, you know, through the ballpark and then and then the park in the park and then there's a city behind it. And it's amazing how much that has changed yeah. since the park was built. There's now a city back there that didn't used to be. Yeah, so I think $1.5 billion went into the East Village by John Moore Investments, uh, JMI. Mm-hmm. But I believe another like $3 billion total happened in the surrounding area. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. Like, it, it, it did. And the question is, okay, it's not like the money came out of nowhere. This was, this was serving real demand. Mm-hmm. So you could say the city channeled the demand more than it created the demand of course like in a certain sense like you you know you can really grow in real terms but i think also this aligns with i mean you know this uh i wouldn't describe living in downtown san diego as something that a lot of people thought about as very desirable in you know certainly in the 90s and then even you know maybe in the early 2000s versus now living in downtown san diego is actually considered very desirable yeah i don't know if that is considered like i mean I don't know that they did that just via the ballpark. Yeah. You know, there's broader trends happening as well, but like it certainly didn't hurt. Yeah, I mean, I think you can talk about like inner city urban blight, white flight, and something. I mean, I think San Diego doesn't have the same uh, racial tensions as many other like eastern cities that like the whites fled the inner city and then later it became. How do we bring the whites back to the inner city? Not to that degree, but definitely. I mean, I think in the '90s it was you know, and and again into the 2000s it was. Um, especially like thinking about down, I think just about downtown is not a nice place to go. Not yeah. necessarily from like a racial perspective, but just from a like, it's not nice. It's not pleasant to be there. People, people are complaining at the time. East Village, like a lot of people, like the people who hate the whole Petco development. So East mm. Village used to be great because it was an artist community. <laughs> and all just, from, from the city's perspective, they, they didn't really like the artists. They, they're happy to see the artists leave, and you know, kind of more affluent professionals come in. There were, there were. I mean, that, that there. I, that, I do remember East Village being definitely being considered an art place. There are plenty of other places for artists in san diego is certainly across the the county san diego county for sure yeah um, i mean i i think the, the traditional norm is yeah it's like more of the peripheral land is where, where the fringe it was a weird time in the mid-20th century where the fringe was living in the city core and i think cities yeah. are looking to correct that one big no, reason is like if you kind of if, if stuff leaves the periphery mm-hmm. you lose tax revenue if you don't control your suburbs mm-hmm. and stuff moves out to the edges mm-hmm. it's like that's the city's just losing and they sure. want that money back yep uh but yeah so the whole no, wait, so, real quick when i think of san diego art community i think of uh like 
Lucadia um, uh, and kind of more like sort of uh, hippie like beach bomb type art community. Sure. Uh, not yeah. as much the downtown art community, but. That is interesting. Yeah, I think beach. Yeah, if you have a beach, why not be an artist at the right. beach? Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, so, but it's interesting because like, the seal grow up. They didn't want really to take any chances. They had the demand, like they had the memorandum of understanding. So you must do it. And I, the whole thing is they had to pay the hotel taxes either case. Mm-hmm. So they say you're basically paying us the hotel tax. So you better build the hotel. Sure. Uh, you know that's cool. Yeah. So uh, overall payment, he paid forty uh, percent. The city forty percent. The city redevelopment corp. That is the center city redevelopment corp. Corporation, seventeen uh, percent, and the port authorities, four uh, percent. So it was this whole this whole divvying up. Okay. Uh, and you know, in the end, they, the hotel taxes go up, property taxes go up, and also you get you kind of carve outs. The whole park in the park was considered a huge uh, benefit because it was basically a park infrastructure, mm-hmm. uh, which is essentially kind of a public green space, which is also part of the ballpark. Eh. I mean, I guess they charge on game day. On non-game days, can you just... Yeah, on non-game days, you can just walk through the park in the park, yeah. yeah. Or at least you used to be able to. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, the thing, too. Like, it's... I, you want to be sure they actually have... I worry about when you have, like, a nice... Oh, it's a public-private partnership. And they're like... Like, I hear this, like, in like San Francisco is a lot of places which are, like... Public-private rooftop parks. It's uh-huh. like, oh, it's a public park on top of the building. It's oh, it's oh, well now it's open nine to five. Oh, we're not really sure about opening. And like, <laughs> they, you have to like make sure like it's like you're losing control when you actually have someone else hold the keys for something. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because I'm trying to think. It is it, the park in the park is definitely inside the the ticket gates now, and I don't. I, I can't remember if that's always been the case or not, but it's inside yeah. the ticket gates, which would mean, but those are um, movable ticket gates, so maybe they do open maybe. that up when it's not um, when it's not a game day. Yeah, possession is nine tenths of the law, though. You know, <laughs> it's like if you let someone else control something and the keys, it gets it gets scary. Sure, sure. It's I mean, but even regardless of that, the park in the park is a cool thing. I I enjoy the um, I, I think it adds to the ballpark itself, even if it isn't a public park. Sure, yeah. You know, it still is a nice area. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, If people are pointing out things that went wrong with Petco, Mm. uh, this is interesting. I didn't know this is a major part of history. I've heard other parts. Uh, The redevelopment agency, uh, which only contributed 17%, I believe because the way that tax increment financing was set up, at the time, it was guaranteed that all the money from property taxes going up inside the area Uh would go to the redevelopment agency and not the city's general fund. Oh, weird. <laughs> so, like, the city, like, got really angry, like, say, hey... Because they're kind of stuck in what they can do with it? Is well, that... they don't have control. It's yeah. basically this kind of semi-controlled independent agency. But which that's, a public, the... that's still a public publicly owned agency or it is publicly owned it is publicly controlled nominally but people always felt like oh they have too much leeway the city can't really kind of keep them you know under under uh mm. under watch in, in any case i mean i i i I like a lot. I mean, I consider this a tragedy, mm. but redevelopment agencies became, became unpopular for all numbers of reasons, including this, mm. which Jerry Brown, when he ran for governor again, one of his promises was to kill redevelopment agencies, <laughs> and he did. So Petco is in no small part responsible for killing redevelopment agencies. Oh, there you go. It yeah. all worked out in the end. I mean, I think it's a, a terrible thing. <laughs> you know, I think, uh, honestly, the fact that we can't do anything is is tragic. Oh, uh, oh, sorry. It's the other way. Right? You, you, you don't like that the redevelopment well, agencies are gone. Yeah, I mean, the uh, fact okay. that they actually, I mean, you could say that they were 
like not as democratic as they could have been, mm-hmm. but at but least they got they, stuff done. They got stuff done. Now, yeah. like California is more babyish and helpless than ever. Yeah, you know, like yeah. most places. I mean, that's that's the tragedy of like the way we run all these independent agencies and like mm. this whole like you know this idea of. I mean, let's talk about what kind of went on here. They wanted to see uplift and development in downtown, mm-hmm. so they said, "Okay, how can we make this happen? Let's get the Padres to." Do it, kind of create the attraction, create mm-hmm. the capital as well, yep. and make it happen. I mean, you can compare this to like Singapore, for example. Sure. Singapore has redevelopment agencies and other, you know, like you know, real estate firms which are publicly owned and fairly independent, and they wouldn't really have to depend upon John Moore Investments to mm-hmm. put in the capital because they have the capital. Yeah. So it's like this idea that you have to kind of attract this third party to do the stuff instead of doing it yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, which is like, I mean, I, I, I'd say they got it done, but it kind of says maybe there's a better way to kind of do more stuff in-house as opposed to kind of begging some third party yeah. to do what I would say is, to me, a clear goal of a city, which is like municipal real estate kind of cultivation like yeah. that's that's what a city does to a first approximation yeah yeah for sure i don't know i think there is something above and beyond about the draw of i mean a, a sports team as a, a an established entity that has a history and and a culture around it and a, and an identity that is um yeah people call us an anchor yeah yeah right it's not just like we're gonna build a cool venue with some shops and yeah green space and whatever it's we're gonna have a sports team that we care about you know yeah i mean i think that's 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 a big thing like if you want to create a like a venue you could create a bunch of kind of gimmicks but like a sports team is a very like uh uh, like has a an obvious draw yeah you know and and like it it, there's there's only so many they have a real prestige uh it's but it is interesting if you're looking of like controlling stuff more and more places are doing this you look at uh you know cincinnati is trying to effectively gentrify the West End and they're doing it by they plant the big MLS stadium there. Mm. It's like this area is, you know, well that's not going to work out because it's MLS. <laughs> I don't I mean I think they're they're depending upon oh the the frou-frou yuppies go to downtown. They're all soccer nuts and I think they're probably right. <laughs> yes, but not for MLS. <laughs> yeah, I, well, I don't know. People in Portland love their MLS. Okay. Team. All right. No one's satellite too, so I guess yeah. I guess maybe. Yeah. But it isn't like, the whole history of like originally teams were independent little kind of crappy firms Mm. then cities kind of realize we need these as an anchor it'll help you know put our city on a map Mm -hmm. and this is why like the era of building a stadium to try to attract teams milwaukee being the first like major one they attracted the braves which is building a stadium and then they they were poached off to atlanta because they said we have like a nicer stadium for you Mm -hmm. uh and now like it's like you're trying to use it as like a center of real estate development uh but you talk about like there's a real attraction to these teams and like, I think this goes to the big question. Like, are these just a business or what? There's only some, like, talk about the ways, like, they are a business and what ways are kind of unusual. Uh, let's see. Well, so they're, I mean, they, they're a business, but the, but there are, and I don't think they're the only type of business that fits this description, but they're a business that has a unique level of, of cultural meaning and in particular cultural meaning for, a certain group of people in a certain place, right? Yeah. It's, so it's it's weird. Like it's like yeah, they they they're a civic, they're a cultural institution. As in in addition to just like you know 
money goes in, money goes but out. But so are other, I mean... So the, is McDonald's, uh, or, or, I mean, it's a non-profit, but like the Metropolitan Opera, you know, in New York, right? Yeah. Or, um, uh, you know, yeah, I mean, McDonald's is a great example, although that's not as regional. Um, but like, a, I'm trying to think of like a regional... In-N-Out Burger. Yeah, In-N-Out Burger, ex- yeah. exactly, right? Sure. You, you would There would be something, the idea of having a... Um, a, a place that has an In-N-Out Burger has unique and special meaning to people in California. And so as a city, you might want to optimize around how do we put the In-N-Out Burger in a place where we know it's going to have greater value than just a standalone In-N-Out Burger, you know, that exists in the middle of nowhere. Right. Yeah. I'd, I'd say one way that's kind of like most things, if something is good and like you want more of it, you would create more of it. You know, mm-hmm. people say like universities. It's weird that we have like so many like elite institutions. Like, let's make more you know, let's make more colleges in general. Well, like, there's a talent pool type, you know, in terms of like, you, you need to get the top professors, top whatever, right? And, and with sports, you need to find the top athletes. Exactly. Yeah. Know? So you can only have so many sports, with, or at least within a given sport. I mean, you could create more sports, which is happening. But like, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. That, that is, um, yeah. But, you know, within a given sport, you can only, you know, you, there's only so many people that, are, that can play at the elite level. And so you end up with, you know, some reasonable number of teams that can support the, that top tier of talent. And, and then, you know, uh, you only have so many markets that can support a, a team, so it kind of balances out to one per city, one ish per city, right? I mean, this was one of the main. This is one of the main takeaways of like as sports came of age to become like successful instead of bankrupt, mm-hmm. which is like how do you leverage the fact it's like a natural monopoly by like essentially the franchise model. Like you, the people who are franchises for like franchise, 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 fran- yeah. franchises are everything. But like talk about like like traction like transit is a natural monopoly so you have transit franchises the city would say oh you have like this is a private company but you have the right to this territory sure and the sports leagues realized you can't have an upstart team pop up next to your other city because yeah. like it's going to screw everything up. Yep. So they said the main thing we need to do is make sure we create zones where yep. you have exclusive control. Yep. The only and and let's not just there is a limit you can't have a million teams. But like people would say, the like there's a lot more talented athletes now than mm. you know sure. seventy but that, but, years ago. But sports are expanding. I mean, it's not it not nearly as much as eh. population goes. Sure, and people would say like really there perhaps should be more teams. Mm. Talk about reasons there aren't more teams. Mm. Uh, I mean, for the you know from the point of position of the league, mm-hmm. which could be understood is like kind of the league is more like a association of owners yeah and the owners are more self-interested in preserving their existing value than in than in like growing the total value of the league is that what you're saying yeah i mean i like for example in almost all leagues there is revenue sharing among national mm-hmm. sure. uh, national media contracts yep. so if you create a new yeah. uh, new like stakeholders your stock is diluted well you uh, unless you believe that the creation of that new stakeholder is is going to add more total value enough more total value that it is your your stake is going to increase by more, you, you could know, make that bet, you, yeah. but I think most people try to like you know, have the short termist mindset, which sure. is I don't want to see my share drop. Also, consider the advantage of an empty city. Talk about Las Vegas and baseball today. Mm-hmm. The fact that the Oakland A's are constantly saying, "Oh, I'm going to move to Vegas," yeah, gives them tremendous leverage. They would lose if every major city was occupied. Yeah, and, and I, that's I, and, and and I think that that is, it's no secret that this is a this is a distinct strategy yeah. by sports leagues. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess that's true. Talk I about think, talk of L.A. for the last couple decades for football. Uh, yeah, that's fair. I I think though the 
Um, well, I mean, Las Vegas is a particularly interesting case because you've got a, an even more even more than usual valuable population because of the association with sports gambling yeah uh and and the you know pending legalization of it nationwide like i think you've got te- you've got owners that would probably recognize that the value of having a team there is going to be greater overall to the whole league because they're going to play other teams those fans are going to bet on games that the other teams are playing in uh and be engaged in those games they're going to care about tv coverage of them like the synergy of sports like oh we don't actually have a taboo in gambling we love it now is very weird (laughs) i mean i think this is going to turn out bad but like it's very weird yeah uh but in general Historically, like people have like said, there are really only two ways that leagues have ever expanded past their like kind of early age, mm. which is a competitive alternate league. So talk about baseball. That happened the first thing. National League. Sure. It was kind of I mean, the American League popped up yeah. as an upstart. They took the like the cities they were not in and they reached parity. This happened with the AFL, the ABA, World Hockey uh, yep. League. Is that right? Uh, and you know they tried to do it in 1914. The Baseball players try to have a semi-cooperative federal league, which is going to be a third league of baseball, not successful. Mm. Uh, when they were not expanding out west, the Pacific Coast uh, leagues uh, were actually looking, we're going to have a third major league, San Francisco, Oakland, San Diego, sure. Seattle. And that's the reason, really, that baseball moved into San Francisco and, and Los Angeles, is because they knew that the SEALs... And, uh, you know, uh, yeah, it's like they're they're going to become another major league, a third league, and they need to squash it. And that's the only reason they they, they started expanding, because mm. uh, they knew this competition. The only other way is if there's a legal challenge. If if, if the courts say, uh, we don't really like the way that you are essentially running a cartel, that kind of can get them to, to stop being such a cartel. Mm. Baseball, historically, the Supreme Court in 1953 said they are not subject to the antitrust statutes. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of, that's not on the table for baseball, at least. Uh-huh. But uh, but I, I think it's, it's interesting. In general, we talk about like there is a civic kind of nature of, yeah. of these sports things. But like if it's so civic, why are they so mercenary in that they can pack up and leave? like this should couldn't we and shouldn't we do more to keep them rooted um maybe um i think the well so i mean but there's there's different dynamics to them to the them leaving thing right so so one is what if the population dynamics actually change so you've got a team base in a city that city shrinks you know or doesn't grow as quickly as the surrounding area you've now got a team which is in this you know are are you saying the nfl should not so no longer have a franchise in portsmouth ohio like it used to (laughs) quite possibly (laughs) i don't know i think portsmouth's a great franchise you know and and in that sense it feels not worth saying like portsmouth or or whatever or um uh you know fort wayne yeah Yeah. or 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 even like uh you know let's say like rochester you know yeah i mean we're talking about green bay yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah, I mean they serve a broader area, I think, but maybe that's they're, they're, not. They're eventually they're kind yeah. of functionally Milwaukee suburb, yeah, kind of. But you know, but so so right, so that it feels like you know you're kind of okay. Do you really want to lock down the notion of this this team is directly associated with this city because the city itself could change in ways that are not conducive to having the team there anymore? And now you've got this, you know, I mean. The I guess the city could sell it or something. Um, it's possible. I mean, I think the, the, the it is very hard to kind of keep these dynamics with a closed league, which is what we have in the U.S. Every every league is eventually closed, as mm. opposed compared to European soccer leagues. Mm. Those are open leagues. Sure. And I think because 
of that, you have much more of an ability for a municipal publicly owned thing because they have essentially one solution to that problem, which is a real problem. I think it's not so big for football Mm -hmm. because people can go to Green Bay and do uh, every so often. But like imagine filling a baseball thing 80 games a year. (laughs) Uh, One solution is promotion and relegation. You know, if your yeah. city declines, presumably based upon revenues, yeah. you're, 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 you go to a lesser league. Sure. Uh, yeah. That could work with minor league baseball and I, no, baseball. I, I'm, if, I actually like, should... I, I, the, I think the promotion relegation system is super fun. Yeah. Um, I, 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 at least as a fan. I don't know from a um, team management perspective, I'm guessing it's less fun. But uh, from, from, <laughs> from a fan perspective, I actually think that's, that's a really fun uh, mechanic. It, it is weird. Like it's like we talk about public ownership. It's banned by all the major major leagues. Uh, minor league baseball does allow it, and in oh. fact, you see that a few like almost every minor league park is owned by the city. But mm. all, some teams, Columbus, Rochester, are AAA examples. They're owned by the cities. Wow! And they just kind of hire someone to run the team and all that. You know, like you know most managers that are appointed executives. Uh, so I guess like if you kind of ma- you could imagine even the whole franchise model of the the farm system, you could kind of pop that out and say, okay, let's say a AAA team goes up and down, you could kind of like just switch it out and see what the franchise. It was a weird case. At one point, the Dodgers were technically the owners of a of a of a uh, at the time Devil Rays minor league franchise oh, the vero okay. beach rays yeah. were owned by the dodgers which would say okay isn't that kind of problematic so now you hire an executive it's fine you know so i don't know like i could imagine you could put relegation promotion have public ownership for more of these things that's yeah. at least one solution i don't so what are what are we solving though i, I feel like we're, we're there solving isn't... the problem that you don't want to see your team leave your city if it's really oh. if it's if it's important infrastructure because there's a weird I see. there's a weird like right now mm-hmm. oakland is like is dealing with the mm-hmm. Oakland A's leaving, yeah. and this is making a lot of people upset. Yes, and like, wouldn't it be nice if you knew that, in the same way that you wouldn't see Smud leave or you wouldn't see AC Transit leave, uh-huh. Oakland A's are just another piece of Oakland infrastructure. I feel like that though. That would also you then you you end up taking them for granted, right? I mean, that's that's <laughs> people people do say that there is an argument that the minor league publicly owned franchises do worse. As far as businesses, than the ones that aren't. I, 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 mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm bullish on public ownership, but I think you can always solve these principal agent problems. But there's an argument you can make that. Okay, I mean, I guess I, I could, um, I could get behind some sort of incentive structure that makes it harder for a team to leave. Yeah. Uh, I but <laughs> the the problem is it's in the opposite. The, no, that, the, the right. major leagues do right. not want to see that happen because they absolutely want to see the leverage of leaving. Yeah, right. Right. Well, no, uh, that's true. They want to, they want the leverage of leaving. The the teams do. I don't think the league does. Right. I don't think MLB is like it. No, it's, the the but it, it helps. I mean, insofar as the league yeah. is a collection of owners, they want to see every owner have the advantage. That's uh, sure, but I, I if, think if you imagine that it is a essentially in the yeah. same way like everyone is shareholders, if you imagine they have like the long distance in mind, yeah. you could believe differently. But yeah, let's let's. I mean, people are complaining so much. We're like Rob Manfred, uh-huh. the fact that he is representing baseball owners who don't really care about baseball as an institution as much as like a business to sure. be extracted yeah. from. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's the that's the incentive structure that feels worth trying to change, although there's not really a good mechanism for changing that. <laughs> I mean, I think in some ways you would need some sort of pub like you call it public, but something that is thinking of something as an institution. Cuz in the same way that like 
like for example, the Olympic Games, they don't they have like very prestigious rules of how the yeah because like, they have central control. Yeah, exactly. uh, well, but but I mean, but then I guess I mean that could be the case in baseball too, right? I mean, the commissioner uh, historically has been at least yeah. ostensibly an independent third party who cares about the prestige of baseball. Yeah, Ford Frick in the fifties, I believe, banned uh, the Cardinals from making their park uh, Budweiser Park because he felt <laughs> it would denigrate the game. Wow, and like oh. Or go ahead. And, and the IOC bans st- name, naming deals. Sure. Even like uh, the you know tennis basically bans advertising on like uniforms and yeah. like only like only allows a very small amount. Yes. Tastefully within the, like there is like control to make sure you maintain the brand. Yep. Yep. Yeah. NASCAR only allows so so large <laughs> of a banner on the side. It's actually true. There's a limit. Oh, on, is there? Yeah. Yeah. There's actually very strict rules about how big the advertisement can be on oh, the side of the car. That's why it's so tasteful. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sure. They did, they allowed it to be slightly bigger though two years ago. Um, so no. Oh, the other thing I was gonna say since you're talking about naming, what I forgot to mention earlier, uh, the the biggest objection I remember at the time, at least among among my social group, to the notion of Petco Park was the name. Yeah. That was the biggest thing that that we were that we objected to because we thought it sounded silly, we thought it sounded diminutive and and you know um, uh, again like silly, playful, silly. That uh, is interesting. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's. I mean, I think there's a really good. If it is a civic institution, it does like the fact that the Oakland Coliseum is in. Oh, it's the O. Co. It's the Ring Central. Call, like, yeah. What is yeah. this? What is? Well, this? so the thing that I, mean, I think I, I stopped following the I stopped following the White Sox for five years because it became guaranteed rate ballpark. And I hate that <laughs> so much. Yeah, I mean, I right. I think the I think why Petco Park works. I mean, I, I mean, there, there might be there are probably better names out there, but why it no. is compa- comparatively, uh, I think, an acceptable even good name uh now that i've come to like it uh or at least you know accept it is one petco's a san diego company so i think having having a local connection is is cool right um and then two it, it ties into this theme of like like a park is a place where you take your dog and there's a park in the park and they yeah, have well, yeah. they, they have like a dog park area in the park in the park like they actually sort of themed it into like the brand is actually incorporated in some of the design of the um of the ballpark so that it be kind of kind of come and combined with it being a San Diego institution also a company that like on the spectrum of companies versus like a financial services company, you know, at least it's like a consumer facing brand that you can kind of like know what they do, you know? Um, Are you saying better than Houston picking Enron, local, local heroes? <laughs> John, John Morris, he wanted to buy the Astros. He's a Houston guy. Wow. And, and he couldn't afford it. Ah. So he, so well, so, and, but Enron's kind of could be fun if it wasn't Enron, but like the, you know, if they played up the energy aspect of it, right? Yeah. And, 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 you know, celebrated the fact that they're energy producers and that, you know, this yeah. is, a, a, you know, and the ballpark had like, you know, uh, instead uh, of a train going around as an energy, yeah. energy trading ticker. Yeah, 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 exactly. Well, I mean, again, Enron specifically, you know, <laughs> not, not the best, but, um, uh, Anyway, I, what I'm getting at is like similar to how I mean the team na- the team brand is a brand that's not like a you know like there's that's a copy or you know trademarked brand that yeah. is owned by someone um, you know having a corporate brand is not necessarily the end of the world 
it's having a bad corporate brand or one that doesn't match the nature of the park or feels organic to the city that is the part that that feels like it gets you know grading and 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 you know like makes you not want to support the team or the park yeah i, I do think the switchover is also a problem sure fact, like yeah. Yeah. lack I, of yeah, yeah. stability I, yeah. The, the denver's one of the few places apparently they sold off cores for 50 million dollars forever so nice. which honestly that's I, cool that should yeah. be mandated you know only 50 15. Oh, only 15? Yeah, they, they sort of wanted a I terrible mean, deal. But again, that's, I mean, that is another perfect example, even better than Petco Park. I mean, Coors, Coors Field? Coors Field, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Coors Field, like, you know, in Denver, you know, in the Rockies. I mean, that, it all works. Oh, it's, like, I that's think it's, a, it's good branding. Yeah. You know, what's a funny thing about, you know, I don't know if you could say this is the main driver of why naming rights became standard, but this is, there is one very funny wrinkle uh the tax reform act of 1986 which Mm. is the bane of my existence i hate it so much it did so much bad stuff for real estate but one specific thing it did is uh okay so stadium financing was done with with municipal bonds Uh municipal bonds are basically a giveaway from the federal government because you have to pay less taxes on them okay so you kind of juice municipal bonds by having them be tax advantaged uh, people got angry at the fact, oh, why is a private team benefiting from these municipal bonds? It seems like a giveaway from the federal government to all these successful you know, firms. So they said, okay, if, you, if the financing for municipal bonds is more than 10% paid for by operations from a ballpark, you know, any sort of revenue streams from running a ballpark, uh, yeah, that's, that's not allowed. So you can't run a successful ballpark and make it from that. And I guess they also throw in like media and the other stuff that that you know teams do. Hmm. Okay. How did they get around that? Is it did not cover naming deals for stadiums, and it did not cover uh, license fees for for seats. So I think the, the, the people would say like perhaps it would happen anyway. But the rise of license fees and and corporate naming for ballparks hmm. was essentially like urged on by loopholes in the tax reform act of 1986 wow it all comes back to that yeah you know how the packers uh you know how they guarantee they stay in 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 green bay how do they guarantee because they have a lot of stakeholders they have like this kind of pseudo stock but they it's non-voting it doesn't really yeah. matter they have like uh, they have a they have a small firm like a, a board that essentially runs like you know but yeah i so you in theory you can imagine the board you can convince everyone on the board to sell it off yeah and they could it is written in the contract that if they sell the Packers, all the money goes to the local American Legion to have to have a, a war memorial for the like I believe World War One Green Bay like, dead. The most elaborate war memorial. Like, <laughs> I would just love it. If they like say like okay, a twelve screw it. billion dollar. You know yeah, exactly. So the Green Bay dead. Each one gets like a hundred million dollars per statue. Or something. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, it's, it's a good. <laughs> Um, that's cool. That's a cool mechanic. It's, it's pretty funny. I mean, yeah. they, they would not allow that uh, today. That's it, old, old, old weird rules. It's it is interesting to see the difference between the way leagues run stuff. Like for example, like there's media sharing in baseball. Hmm. Media sharing for the NFL was more forward thinking insofar as they realized blackouts were bad earlier, hmm. uh, and like for the Super Bowls. But and they, they wanted to make sure that they actually had like complete media sharing among yeah. all parts of the leagues yeah well i mean then that's why they're able to do now they're able to do um uh um 
not Sunday ticket, but uh, Red Zone. Yeah. Right? They're able yeah. to do a central broadcast with all the interesting stuff happening. They're able to sell that directly you know, to, to, to viewers. It, it's pretty amazing. Yeah, people would say that baseball is being too short-termist with blackout rules. Mm. You know, I think it certainly is. It's not growing the pie in the long term. MLS, I didn't realize this, every team is actually centrally owned from a pot. So, like, the, wow. the owners own all the teams in equal shares, wow. which is weird. Yeah. I guess, you know. For the love of the game. Yeah. Uh, as far as... NHL? Do you know... Uh, I don't know NHL stuff. Okay. Yeah. Right. But I believe it's probably similar to more like, you know, football and basketball and yeah. baseball. Yeah. Okay. Uh, uh, there's... Pickleball? You know, professional... <laughs> oh, that's the, that's the sport of the future. Uh, the... There's only one. Some teams are owned by corporations. Mm-hmm. One team is a corporation you can buy on the stock market. Um, on the stock market, uh, one team, one baseball team, one baseball team, one baseball team. Um, you can look it up. B A T R K. I don't even know why it's B A T R K. B A T R K. Oh, the Braves. Yeah, the Braves. Liberty Braves Group Series C. So they're owned by the Liberty, you know, which was you yes. know, media conglomerate. Sure. Whatever. And they're spun off into its own corporation. So it is the Braves and the Braves Real Estate Development Company. Ah, so, yes. Yeah. Your favorite. It's it's funny to see all like the way this works is like if you like look at it, it the stock plummeted it... right at COVID <laughs> so baseball is over then, oh oh no, I was thinking more when the Braves are doing well versus poorly no I it... thought like okay when you when you see you know them you know do well in the World Series yeah. go up no not at all. a little bit I mean a little so bit, it, let's a see small when, when that would have been uh, that was October of last year yeah, yeah yeah oh no it went up like crazy so that no, was I mean compare that to so, how much it went down in March of 2020 well sure sure but during their during their World Series run it went from you know $25 25.50 a share to $30 a share that's pretty that's, okay. a, that's yeah. pretty there's, significant there's a bump i guess it doesn't yeah. compare to dropping half of its value uh, in the early days sure but i mean the overall market dropped a large portion of its value and then sports on anything sports related on top of that would have that, been so exactly I, 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 it's, it's it's yeah uh the, in fact actually it was their world series run that that got them to the first the first time they'd come back to their pre-covid levels was the was november 12th 2021 <laughs> oh what an inspiring story what an inspiring story <laughs> that's amazing that's pretty that's actually pretty funny uh i i really wonder uh, braves are the braves the model of the future uh because in general like the Braves are doing a bunch of things which are unusual. I mean, mm. the fact that they have the Braves in the real estate, they're, and the they're, Braves, they're are keeping their indigenous people uh, centric branding, which is novel. <laughs> yeah, it's very, very. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how long because they, 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 they people hate it. You know, I mean, like, well, I mean, I get at least the, not this is our topic for today. I mean, but they, they lost their All Star game last year, Alfred. That, they, that, that didn't hurt. That, their... that wasn't why they lost their All Star game. No, oh, you're right. They lost the, their All Star game because of the the uh, voting rights stuff. You're, you're right. You're right. You're right. Um, the, but I think I think it, no, no. So, yeah. so the, the at least the the official line from MLB is that the the local Native American community in Atlanta is supportive of the team, and so therefore MLB is not uh, is not intervening. That's the excuse they used in Washington D.C. for the uh, yeah, commanders I mean, <laughs> for years, and, and then they finally said, okay, well, never mind. Uh, I, I think some things are okay. That's 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 uh, the things are unusual. It's like this structure, but the fact. Almost all teams are going back to the central city. Mm. The Braves, like, I don't want to say this kind of sprung up. More or less, like, suddenly, Cobb County, mm-hmm. you know, said, hey, we got a deal. The Braves are coming to Cobb County. Mm. And, like, it just kind of, ha- it was almost like it went to a completely different city. Cobb County, 
Uh, and you're saying this was uniquely enabled by the fact that they are that they're publicly traded, or, or no? I, I, well, I think the fact it's real estate arm, it's kind mm. of interesting, as opposed uh. to the fact that, like, yeah, you know, you know, John Moore's benefited from the overall real estate investment in the East Village. Uh, the Braves are kind of almost. It, it reminds me of in the like, especially in like Scandinavia. You saw in the mid 20th century new cities. And yeah. you would see these new cities, like essentially suburban commuter towns, you know, be master planned and crop up in the periphery of a city, be connected by transit. And like people do it. Singapore does it. Hong Kong does it. You know, this is a way you create new places. Is yeah. You create like a new city. Yeah. The Braves essentially are trying to do a new city outside of but Atlanta. inside wow. of like the crappy exurbs of of Cobb, wow. of Cobb County yeah I mean, Cobb County like I the, the quote from the uh, I, I think it was one of the commissioners of Cobb County said like if if Cobb County had a downtown it's going to be you know where the ballpark is yeah. you know the battery is what they call it it, it but it's not going to by transit historically Cobb County it it opted out of Marta largely because you know it People people point towards like racial fears. Mm. Uh, this kind of wider suburb wanted to stay exclusive. So I mean, in a lot of ways, I do not like yeah, Cobb seems, County. Seems not ideal. <laughs> so why why do you think the Braves are the ideal model? <laughs> well, I just think it's possibly the, for the future. Instead of the city like Petco, the Padres stayed in downtown. It's like okay, we want a better deal on financing. Mm. Uh, so we'll kind of agree to this kind of benefit, and you get additional property taxes. You know, and everything. What if instead, like a team says, what if we create a city ourselves? <laughs> like, imagine, like, if this is Cup County, imagine yeah. you pop it up in the middle of nowhere yeah. and they build real estate and then it's owned by, like, I, are, are, really, you, are you saying, you know, to any team owner, you're saying, buy up like Nevada real estate, just create a city of the future? You, sure. To any team owner, you're saying, you're not in the baseball business. <laughs> you're in the real estate. You're business. in the real estate business. The the, the 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 CEO of the Braves said that he uh-huh. literally said we're in the real estate business. <laughs> we're not in the baseball business. Uh, that's an actual quote. Yeah. Wow. Uh, this all this all comes full circle. It's weird. I mean, the Ray Kroc would have loved it. Absolutely. I mean, it's it's very funny. You see this everywhere. And the Braves, it's kind of odd because mm. it is like it. They only put five hundred million, so it's kind of this weird small city. Mm. It's and it's it's awful. It's it's not connected well it's it's i think it's this it's more but like Santana for, for braves fans you get to live you that's yeah <laughs> to live right there i did i mean i certainly especially um you know when when the uh pandemic situation allowed you know made it possible to work from anywhere i definitely looked at what would it take to get a little apartment uh next to petco park you know overlooking the ballpark and one of those one of those new buildings there yeah that's what happens during the next wave you know <laughs> uh no i mean that's i mean that's the thing like it's it's a nice attraction you yeah know? and like that's it's a th- like to just be able to walk out your door and be you know be in a ballpark uh, you know any day. This has been a thread. We talked about you know Disneyland, Disney World. Said okay, you know it makes sense for them. Why not be like turn into a city? Yeah, and like and then same with McDonald's. Why don't they turn like more into real estate? You know, why don't they be like you know they? I trust them to build apartments. I trust McDonald's to make a city for all I care. I I, I love <laughs> McDonald's city, but honestly, it's kind of the question: if cities don't take over. Uh, the infrastructure of of teams, mm. it would make sense in the long term. It would make sense for the teams themselves to become cities, <laughs> and that's kind of what we're seeing. This all turn towards. I, I mean, I get, uh, maybe, maybe I don't know. It's a lot. That's a that's a lot to. Yes, the team is contributing a lot of the value, but like if you look at especially like let's look at Petco Park, right? Yeah, the fact it's super well connected via transit, right? That's a big plus. The fact it is it is right on the harbor there with the convention center and everything else. 
the fact that it has this whole gas lamp corridor around it that has you know has like a, a several nice little downtown enclaves. Um, I mean, there's a bunch of stuff there that I, I don't think that I don't think it would even make financial sense for the for the team or the the baseball enterprise to take on. It only really makes sense if the, if those are things that I mean, like building a convention center, for example, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I think you can look at if sports valuations are going up, up, up. Mm-hmm. They're not reaching the level of the wealth of a city of an entire city. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but they're getting there. They're getting there. Okay. I, I'm, I'm optimistic. <laughs> All right. I don't know. I, I just think there's interest. I think we're seeing this weird kind of place where like private firms and public institutions are kind of resembling each other. Mm-hmm. You know, in different ways, and I, I think, then you're all for it. I don't. I, I think. I think it's inevitable. And we need to control it. <laughs> so I, I just think we need more of kind of. We need you know public institutions that are as flexible and nimble. The fact that the 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 the, the Padres could not be owned by the city, I think, was a tragedy for the city of San Diego. Mm. That like honestly, if they were more like Singapore, they could have done it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think we're we're well, we need to be thinking of cities being more nimble. And if if instead we have private cities, we need to control them. Sure. And that's kind of my theory of, of, of the future of baseball. Okay. Uh, All right. Which, at the very least, uh, you know, the other great tragedy is that we have Rob Manfred uh, as commissioner in, well. s- instead of George W. Bush. Instead of being president of the country, he should be president of, of the baseball country. You know? <laughs> that, that would have that would have saved baseball and, and, and the U.S. But, you know. <laughs> Alas. Yeah. Uh, uh, who would be, if you if your pick for baseball commissioner, other than George W., What uh, any other... Ah, and people people have thrown out you know, Bob Costas in the past. Oh you know, wow, he'd, he'd, he'd wouldn't be that fine. be good? Yeah, I'm gonna throw out Jason Benetti. You know, yeah. Well, that's yeah. Okay, yeah. that's a bit of a deep cut there. Yeah, but um, I don't know. I mean, though, you have you have one? Um, Bob Costas that's a cool one. Although you, don't, I don't know how. I mean, he's obviously a great broadcaster. I don't know how that trans. Same thing with Jason Benetti. I don't know how that translates into sort of you know business acumen or the you know the. Business and negotiation it, acumen you need as a uh, commissioner. The, the owners do the business. The commissioner needs to just worry about the long. I mean, of yeah, course, it's, it's a lot of relationship management, though, and that sort of stuff, yeah, right? Which a, like is not the same skill set as broadcasting. That's a good point. Yeah, you have to, but it is. I do like it's you know a lot like you know Dune. You have to have like the kind of the business community and the kind of territorial leaders. <laughs> like they're they're not the same thing. I think the fact when you have the business community become kind of the territorial like chieftain. Mm-hmm. Like they become short termist and weak. Sure. And I think you need people with a long term yeah, vision of growing the land, yes. and not just being the merchants. For sure. Yeah. For sure. So that's 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 like I, I mean, yeah, I I think at least you need to have a vision. And I don't think Rob Manfred has a good vision. Um I I, I have never seen him wear glasses. Yeah, very good. Uh I mean it's it's weird stuff with like Oakland and all that. Like they're they said first, like, oh, we don't want you to move the Howard Terminal. Mostly I don't think they like they wanted to see them have more leverage, I think. Mm. They didn't think they had enough real estate input. They but the Oakland, because stadium deals are still, you know, it's very Petco like, they said we're gonna pay for the entire stadium, but they want the city to fund eight hundred million in like Infrastructure connections. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I don't. I don't like the. I don't like what they're doing in Oakland because it's not even connected by transit. Well, like I like the Coliseum location to be honest. But. Right. Uh, well, I, I. I mean, I think. But again, this is why. Well, I mean, I guess actually a lot for Petco Park, a, a lot of the um, the transit already existed. Although they did, I think they did make some changes to make it a little more optimal. Um, yeah, actually, yeah, that is a question. Like, if you are uh, like, yeah, how does that work? So this is like the trolley that runs down. Like, mm-hmm. hey, but I, I mean, I did this. I walked to Petco from the yep. transit. It's right there. I mean, the trolley is is you know two blocks away. Does um, it have good throughput on a game day? Yeah. 
Okay. Yeah, that, yeah. that's a question. Yeah, they just run trolleys constantly. Okay, that's yeah. cool. I mean, even the VTA light rail handles 49ers games days. Yeah. Okay. So, which is like they're not the best service most of the time. So, as a, you know, maybe as an indicator of this, in the Petco Park Wikipedia page, so there's the sort of top of the page where you got the, the little overview, yeah. you know, section, right? The uh, majority, actually, of this overview is related to public transit. <laughs> oh, that's one. I'll have to yeah. check that out. I'll... So the first paragraph is like, it's a ballpark. It's been used for a variety of things. The second paragraph is, the ballpark is between 7th and 10th Avenue, south of J Street. Um, the southern side of the stadium is bounded by San Diego Trolley, light rail tracks, uh, which this is in the second paragraph of the Wikipedia article. The, the portion of K Street between 7th and 10th is closed to automobiles and serves a pedestrian promenade. <laughs> um, the, this is the, now we're in the third paragraph. Two of the stadium's outfield entrance areas are located at K Street intersections. Uh, the main entrance is da da da, da uh, and faces the San Diego Trolley Station and 12th and Imperial Transit Center. The ballpark is located approximately one mile away from Santa Fe Depot Station, which is served by Amtrak and Coaster. That's interesting. That's the oh, that's the, the this is the top of the Wikipedia page for Petco Park is about how connected it is to public transit and how automobiles are prevented from going near the ballpark. I, I think that's that's what you need more when you see the synergies of city like like city development and media mm-hmm. and everything, you need to see teams that are worried about transit foremost. I, mean, I think that's actually one thing with Atlanta. It's like they basically well, punted. It, it, how do you get butts in seats? You you put them on a train and yeah. get them there en masse, right? Yeah. And that's my other thing, too. Teams are too short. I mean, historically, people have said economically, mm-hmm. game day seats have always been underpriced. By the sense of what will people pay for it and what do they pay for, you could be getting more money. Like mm. they're they're leaving money on the table because it, they're making it up on concessions and stuff. Or well, I think overall they said in the past they just weren't good business people oh. or, or something. But uh-huh. in the time, like you would see, that's why luxury seats became more of a thing. You call this price discrimination. Mm-hmm. You know, if you get like if everyone gets bleacher seats, then you there's people who would have paid more. Sure, but there if you and then you find it. Can you? That's squeeze, why you have the Lexus Home Play Club. Yeah, if you find how can you pay eight hundred bucks a game? You know, two thousand bucks a game. There are people like that. You need to squeeze them for it. Yes. And the problem is, like, in the end, okay, what if you only optimize for that, and now your attendance is even going down, you're not filling up the upper deck, because you don't care. Like, that's, like, honestly, the amount coming well, in through, through consent, like, the amount coming through the ballpark is becoming less and less. Well, it's but, more about other synergies, media, you know. I uh, guess. I mean, maybe this is your point about, about longer-term view, but you do, I mean, you certainly want those upper deck seats filled if you can fill them. Because it's good for the team, right? More people in the stands is good for the team, both yeah. in terms of helping them do better um, and also in terms of creating just more of an atmosphere of, of you know, people feeling like the team is supported that and is exciting. Like people say, like, oh, the, the home field advantage, you want the crowd, that's one reason they undercharge well, just it. no. Yeah. I mean, people don't want to be in an empty ballpark either, right? Yeah, 2020 was a bummer. Yeah. <laughs> people don't want to watch a game with an empty ballpark and people don't want to be at a game in an, in an empty ballpark. So. But you know who especially doesn't are real estate interests in the area. <laughs> like, if you're running this entire real estate thing you would want to see uh, yeah the value of every be, night the, the value of being in person needs to be high yeah yeah exactly yep. and, and i think honestly if you see the real estate slash sports team kind of mindset take over i think you would see people try to sell upper deck seats for cheap uh, every night that's a good point 
Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I mean, sure. I think you know, go to go to the Coliseum, take off the tarps, sell out Oakland every night, and you, yep. if you want to see more people, put more money into the the local you know, local stuff. Well, uh, I mean, Oakland Coliseum is already pretty. <laughs> yeah, I mean, most people are, are straight to the bar they, and leave. They yeah. are offering no, no. I was, I mean, they they are offering very cheap seats and and have been for years in in the Coliseum, uh, especially after the sell offs this year. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> uh-huh. So I, I I think we covered the t- like the the relationship of sports and essentially kind of this economic land you know territory stuff. I think we covered one thing is I think is just kind of funny. The one unintended consequence of having not corporations but people usually run teams mm. partnerships uh, is they are notoriously vulnerable to people getting divorced and having to sell the team. Ah, yes, <laughs> that's what the happened. John Morris story. Yeah, absolutely. So there like, we go. I mean, do you, like, what's what's your what's your take on it? Well, so I don't remember all the details exactly, but you know, so John Moore's, um, you know, made a bunch of money in software. Then was then was getting into sports and I guess real estate. I didn't actually know that he was that deep into real estate. And um, and then and and was you know owner or, you know uh, majority owner of the Padres, and then I guess uh, when would this have been two thousand? I think it was two thousand eight. Eight. I was like going to say eight. Yeah, two thousand eight ish. I assume his wife filed for divorce. I don't. I mean, I I don't think it was him looking for. I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> somehow. Divorce. Uh, him and his wife uh, started divorce proceedings. Yeah, and a large part of the messiness of the divorce was what to do with the team and <laughs> whether the team ends up. But you know, you can't really split the ownership of the team because then neither of them is the majority owner anymore, and so it has to go to someone. But then, who does it go to? I think that was a big mess during the divorce negotiations. I imagine the messiness of like, oh, the city can't own it. Like the messiness <laughs> of this end. Like this happened to the Dodgers. Happens to all these teams. This is this can't be good for business in the long run. I, I well, it, well, it was great for the Padres because he had to sell the team, and then and yeah, then the I new see. ownership group has been incredible. I get well, if, maybe get lucky in that sense. Yeah, I, I heard like while divorce proceedings were going on, I believe this is Wikipedia says he like. Like did not go to San Diego. He like avoid like his wife was going to games and he avoided the whole city or mm. something. Which is mm. I don't think it's good if because avoiding his ex wife or you know, wife at the time, <laughs> like you the the owner avoids the or one of the owners <laughs> avoids the ballpark itself. But uh-huh. you know that's that's what you got. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I'm all done here. Uh, yeah, but uh, yeah, thanks for the more time. What 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 is what else we can cover? The no, franchise, I think franchise, franchise. I think we can sum it up with with two two things. Yes. Franchise, franchise, franchise. Yep. And you're not in the baseball business. You're in the real estate business. Uh, and uh, before uh, before going off, just want to say a, a plug. Uh, you know, any, any other podcast ventures you want to plug here? Uh, yes, um, other podcast ventures. I'd like to plug the uh, the Hell Yeah Show. Um, no new episodes. The every, the, no, no new episodes in years. Yeah. Uh, the Everything Digital Podcast. Wonderful. Yes, the History Pod Podcast uh, and the Test of Trivia Podcast. Wonderful. Yeah, those uh, are all of my all my podcasts. Yeah, oh, and uh, one more. Well, I have one yeah. more. Actually, two more podcasts. There's the Quothcast. It's <laughs> a great podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Any other secret podcasts we got going that I'm not, that I'm it forgetting? Is the Cubecast, the Cubecast. Yep, yeah. we got the Quothcast, the Cubecast, and then of course the one that we actually want people to listen to. Sure, uh, earful of an earful of you've got mail currently. Yeah, but very soon we're uh, going to have another ten an years. Earful of we'll see. But an uh, earful of we'll see will be next. Yeah. We we analyze movies. We take them five minutes at a time. We get into dramatic amounts of detail. Uh, we we have looked through 
Convoy, 1977. We looked through Cocktail, 1980. Wait. 88. 78, 88. 78, 88. We've gone through- 98. 98. Yeah. I know. You've only done this for 50 hours I've only done this for like half my life. So- uh, (laughs) um, It turns out all three movies are George's parables. Who would have thought? You know, you would have thought. So yeah. So you can listen to us analyze these movies in great detail- and we are just about to wrap up. You've got mail, which has been spectacular. A great de- deep dive into the absolutely the, the cyber world of 1998. Yeah, and who knows what the next uh, next next uh, few years of movie analysis will will bring us. But we'll absolutely, see. so earfullof.com is where you can go. And uh, yeah, thanks. What's more for uh, being here? I am always here. <laughs> That's a good ending. <laughs> We've been talking to Alan Joyce all about Major League Baseball and real estate speculation. You can hear this episode of the radio show, as well as all previous episodes at the website, seethecat.org. This is a presentation of Casey Shoe, Stanford 